This is New Life Christian Fellowship's weekly message podcast. You can find us online at newlifepetaluma.org. And now, this week's message. Look at you guys being all fantastic sitting down there. Man, I love seeing you. Welcome back to my friends from Sonoma State who have been on break. Welcome back. Glad to have you guys here. So fun. I know you're also excited. Listen, 15 weeks. 15 weeks and it's summer break. Just keep telling yourself that. 15 weeks. When you got your syllabus, just remember 15 weeks is summer break. For some of you, 15 weeks and you are done at Sonoma State. So happy for you. It's a long time. You'll get there. And then guess what? Once you're done, then you get to, you get, to get a job. So it's very exciting. And then you don't get a six-week Christmas vacation. So I hope you enjoyed it. It's been fun. On that lovely note, welcome to New Life, everybody. Uh, so glad you're here. Man, some of you guys are mixing it up. Your seats are starting to get a little worn in, so you're moving around. I like it. My four friends, Bill and Gail, they were in the front, and I picked on them last week, so they sat in the second row thinking I wouldn't see them. <laughs> I see you. I see you. Man, it's so good to be with you. My name is Kevin, if we haven't met yet. Uh, I'm one of the pastors here, and I get to guide us as we continue to engage with God together. And I'm just so thankful that you chose to be here with us. When you walked in, you should have received a program There are tons of tools in there to help you connect here at New Life. One of them is the Start Here card that will just give you some information about who we are. We're going to be using that at the end of our time together, so you might want to go ahead and grab that, put your name and email address on it, because I'll give us some opportunities to take some next steps based on that card at the end of our time together. Uh, Last week, one of the things I talked with our church about was that one of the ways we can grow, or two of the ways we can grow in our trust in God— is through what we call private spiritual practices. And two of the big practices have to do with trusting God with our money and with our minutes, with our time and with our, our, uh, our dollars. And so I encouraged us and challenged us for the next month to try to give God our first few dollars and our first few minutes of the day. And I hope you've been doing that. If you want to trust God a little more with your first few dollars, because I promise it'll spark some great conversations, you can use the envelope inside your program at the end of our time together. Uh, We're going to be passing some baskets, and you can drop that card in here. You can drop that envelope in there to practice generosity and then allow God to kind of talk with you about any feelings it brings up as you practice generosity. That is the process of engaging with Him. I also encourage us for a month to give God our first few minutes to wake up, to make a pot of coffee, because obviously we need some caffeine, and the Holy Spirit is a great pairing. So make your coffee, find your favorite chair, and, and I just have a little jingle for you. I hope this has been true, that the best part of waking up is Jesus and a cup. I think that is really uh, a good thing for us. I hope you've been practicing that and trying it. It's been the best part of waking up for me is Jesus and a cup. Uh, so if you want to practice giving God your first few dollars, you can do that later. If you want to continue the practice of giving God your first few minutes, I'd encourage you to start with one of the biographies of Jesus' life. And, and let's just jump in today. There's some teaching notes in your program. You're going to want to grab those. They will give you the Bible story we're looking at. It's a long story that actually takes us over a full 24 hours of Jesus in this community of followers who really connected with him. So you're going to want to go ahead and get that out. And I don't know about you, but one of the things that I find most interesting about the Bible, specifically about the New Testament, which was written from Jesus' life moving forward, is that the New Testament talks a whole lot about us connecting in relationship with our Heavenly Father, not through ritual or through routine, but through something that the Bible calls faith, which is, you could use the word confidence or the word trust, that part of what God is doing is God is rebuilding 
trust. And I don't know, again, if you read the Bible, you should read the Bible, even if you don't believe everything it says, because let's be honest, when was the last time you read a book where you believed everything that book said before reading it? So I'm not asking you to believe everything. I'm asking you to consider reading the greatest piece of ancient literature and the most well-preserved piece of ancient literature in the history of humankind. You owe it to yourself to read it. And as you read it, here's what you'll find. There's the Old Testament of the Bible, which was written long before the New Testament of the Bible. But that's not why it's called the Old Testament of the Bible. It's called the Old Testament for a whole different reason, having to do with Latin and translations from Hebrew, which we don't need to get into today. But the Old Testament of the Bible poses a problem. And the problem is this. God and humanity and people, including us, but not limited to us in this room, all people, God and people— have a broken relationship. And the broken relationship doesn't just affect this one-on-one thing with us and God. And you may or may not believe there is a God, but, uh, but these letters tell us that there is a God, that God is like a, a perfect, loving, all-powerful, deeply caring Heavenly Father who's calling you not to remind you to call your mother, but is calling you uh, to tell you that he loves you and he has hopes and dreams and plans for you. But the relationship was broken. And so the, the entire Old Testament of the Bible is God and people trying to figure out, or people trying to figure out how to restore that relationship to God. And the letter, the last letter of the Old Testament ends, and then there's a 400-year period between the last letter of the Old Testament and, and Jesus stepping onto the seat. And Jesus in the New Testament picks up this human problem that the Old Testament leaves us hanging with, which is that something happened in the very beginning of humanity that rings true for us individually, but is also a bigger issue, that that this relationship between God and people broke. And when it broke, it didn't just break our relationship with God, but it broke our relationships with each other. It broke our understanding of who we are and how we were created and what it means to be a global citizen living in this world. It broke our relationship with the world as a whole, and everything was in disarray. And then Jesus steps back on the scene, and he answers the very question that people were left with for 400 years, which was, how do we fix the break? And Jesus says, the way that you fix the break is by rebuilding the thing that was broken. And a lot of us who were raised in church, we think the thing that was broken was that people didn't just do enough good stuff for God, that our good stuff didn't outweigh our bad stuff. But But according to the story of humanity written in the pages of the Old and New Testament, that's not the thing that broke. The thing that broke was that people stopped trusting God. And when we stopped trusting God, then, of course, we stopped following God. Following is a result of actually trusting the one that we follow. So Jesus steps onto the scene and he says, we need to actually get back to the heart of the thing that was broken. And the heart of the thing that was broken— was that your trust had eroded. So he comes on the scene and he says, I want to help you reestablish your trust in God or your confidence in God. Or if you've been around church communities, they would say your faith in God. Not by having you do more stuff. Let's be honest, we'd be doing a lot as humans. 
We're always trying to do stuff to prove that we are worthy and valuable, that we matter, that we deserve to be here. And Jesus says that's not actually going to fix the problem. The problem will only be fixed by learning how to trust God a little bit more. And so we've been a community of faith, a, a church, a gathering that's about to celebrate 20 years. Next week marks 20 years that we've been together as a church. It's very exciting. In fact, you'll be happy to know that our founding pastor, Ron, is going to be communicating next week on our 20th anniversary. So I think we should just give a preemptive applause because we're all super excited about that. But over the last 20 years, we've been exploring the question, what would it look like to be a community, a gathering, a church that helps us grow in our trust in God? And we've experienced that there are five things or five catalysts that God uses over and over and over again to help us grow our trust in him. There are environments that we set up in our lives and through relationships that would help us grow. And so I've said to you, if you want to grow this year in your confidence in God, in your trust in God, in your faith in God, if you want your journey with God to be continually up and to the right, then you should be practicing these five things. They are just... They're environments or opportunities to help you more fully trust God. And I said to you, if you've been following Jesus for a while and you find that things were going in this direction and then they kind of plateaued, and you started to ask, what's the problem? It could be that one or two or three of these things are missing from your life, these rhythms. And here are the things that we've been talking about. I won't spend too much time because I really am excited to dive in. But if you want to catch up on any of these, you can go to our website, and you can watch them there. You can get, click on our app. You can grab our app. You can watch or listen there as well. We talked about, if you asked 100 people what helped them grow in their trust in God, they'd say probably number one would be, I got into an environment where there was practical teaching, practical biblical teaching that, that the communicator, whether it was in a small group or a, a church service or a college gathering like InterVarsity or a high school gathering like Young Life, whatever it was, the communicator didn't stop by telling me what the Bible said. They went on to say, this is why it says it. They took this first century truth and translated it into the 21st century so that I could understand it. But they didn't stop there. They actually then said, and here's something you can do with what you're learning. And this works so well because Jesus was the one who modeled it. Jesus could have taught any way he wanted to, and he always took something from the letters of the Old Testament. He brought it into the current day. He told the people, this is what it means to you. This is what God is trying to communicate, and this is something you can do with it. And if you asked 100 people what helps them grow in their trust in God, they'd say, I found a community with practical teaching, and then I did something with what I was learning. I didn't stop by just listening. I actually acted upon what I was learning. They'd also say, you know what, at some point in my life, and I only realized it probably when I looked in the rearview mirror of my life, but at some point in my life, someone moved in next door. Uh, I moved cubicles. I got a, a boss. I started having coffee. I joined a life group. I got on this ministry team, and, and I met a person or a few people, and they became a catalyst for my growth and my trust in Jesus. They were a providential relationship. And if you asked 100 people, what helped you grow in your trust in God— 99 would say, I've, I've had providential relationships in my life. Last week, we talked about private spiritual practices that take our trust in God outside of Sunday morning and move it into a way that I can engage with God all the time. And there are tons. I gave us 
I gave us two last week that Jesus comes back to over and over again, giving God our first few dollars and our first few minutes, and then talking to God about that experience. Because a lot of our trust is in our time and in our money. And if we can learn to, to move our trust from our time and money over to Jesus, boy, it opens up all kinds of conversations. Next week, we're talking about pivotal circumstances. And today, I want to talk about something called personal ministry. And let me define that for you. I don't think I put it in your notes. I hadn't had my coffee when I created your notes. So you might want to write this down. When I talk about personal ministry, here's what I mean. I'm talking about ongoing. So these are regular environments. It's great to do something one time a year, but I'm talking about regular rhythms, ongoing engagement in a cause that's close to the heart of God. Ongoing engagement in a cause that's close to the heart of God. Now, that could be in the church. We try to create opportunities here, but that's actually too small. This church cannot do all of the causes that are close to the heart of God. And in fact, if you want the church to do all the causes that are closest to the heart of God, it will dilute the things we can do and minimize our impact. So it could be something outside of the church or something inside of the church, but it's a cause close to the heart of God. Because if I asked you about a time that you really grew in your trust in God, you would probably say to me, there was this moment and I was presented with a need or a cause. And I've, I've heard needs and causes before, but when I heard this one, something inside of me, you might say it's God, you might not. I would tell you it probably was. But something inside of me said, you know what? That's my cause. That's my thing. That's my area. It's not just something someone else needs to do. There's something about this need, and I'm drawn to it. And then you began a tug of war with God. And the tug of war went something like this. Yeah, but God, I don't have enough, and you fill in the blank. Enough time? I don't have enough skill? God, I'm too old? God, I'm too young? God, I'm not charismatic enough? God, I'm too charismatic? No, you probably didn't say that. If you did— then you need to be So you started having this tug of war with God. And you know what that was? Let me just tell you. You think that was you giving God all the reasons why you can't do it. That was actually you engaging with your heavenly father. And beginning the process of growing your trust muscles. Because God started nudging you. I think you can. Yeah, it's outside of your comfort zone. Yeah, it's beyond your capacity, but, but that's where I come in. So I want to talk about that experience today because some of you might be having it right now. If you're not having it now, you will have it at some point in your life where you hear about a cause, you hear about a need, you hear about a thing, and it's not just this, this good idea, but something in you resonates with it. And we all have them because we were all wired to live beyond ourselves. The happiest, most productive people are people who have a purpose and a vision beyond themselves, outside of themselves. Living for ourselves is too small a thing. We could live for ourselves and get to the top of the ladder and realize we've climbed the wrong ladder. And we're all alone and no one wants that. So I want to talk about this experience, and I want to do it by looking at what is, I'm sure for some of us, a familiar passage 
in the New Testament of the Bible. It comes from one of the biographies of Jesus' life, a letter called Matthew. Now, I want to invite you, if you've heard this before and you start to tune out, tune in right in the middle. Uh, It's okay to tune out. It's okay. Fill out your offering, check, add those zeros, and then tune back in right in the middle. Because in the middle, we get to the heart of the issue. Let me set the stage for us. There's a guy named John the Baptist. John the Baptist was Jesus' cousin. They were very close. They were childhood friends. They spent a lot of time together. John the Baptist grew up to be a preacher. And part of his preaching was he would talk about the things that weren't going well in the area around him. There was a regional ruler, a guy named Herod, and Herod was the son of Herod. And Herod, the dad, was the Herod who did an infanticide to try to kill Jesus when Jesus was born. He was a bad dude. Herod Sr., the father, was the reason why Jesus fled as a refugee into Egypt. If you think the Bible doesn't have anything to say about things happening in our world today, there are stories about infanticide, religious killings, people fleeing as refugees away from their home. You should really read the Bible. It's incredible. It's an, it's an amazing book. So Herod, the dad, dies off. This other Herod comes into power. And Herod steals his brother's wife. It's like a Jerry Springer episode. <laughs> and John the Baptist is a street preacher, and he keeps using this thing, Herod stealing his brother's wife, as a sermon illustration over and over and over again. And Herod and his wife don't like it at all. And so on a bet, they kill him. And this is where we're going to pick up the story. Jesus, arguably one of his best friends, a lifelong, a childhood friend, has just died. John the Baptist has been executed on a dare. And we're going to pick up in verse 13. When Jesus heard what had happened to his cousin, he withdrew by boat privately to a solitary place. He was going to have a private spiritual practice of grieving with God. See, oftentimes we, we try to hide and shield God from our real emotion, our real life, but the Bible's full of real men and women who trusted God enough to share all of who they are with him, to experience God's hope and comfort. So Jesus goes off to a solitary place because his, his cousin, his lifelong friend, had just had his head chopped off. Now hearing this, the crowds followed him on foot from all sorts of towns. And when Jesus landed, he saw a large crowd. He had compassion on them, and he healed their sick. As evening approached, the disciples came to him, and they said, Jesus, this is a remote place, and it's already getting really late. Send the crowds away so that they can go to the villages and buy themselves some food to eat. Most likely, the disciples were also hungry, and they're thinking, can we please get rid of all this ministry, all these people? We need to get some food. Here's what they're thinking. Somebody ought to help all these people. And this is where the story gets really rich as pertains to you and to me. Jesus looked at them and he said, they don't need to go away. You give them something to eat. Now, if this is not a tension that you feel now, it's a tension that you will feel someday. And the more you engage with our community, uh, we're going to be exploring what it looks like to know what we call know our go, our strategic area of service influence. And so we're going to teach and train in the next handful of months 
how to know your area of service, how to see a need to sense that it is God calling you to that and then to serve there. If you don't feel this tension now, you will feel it at some point. And here's the tension. They see a need. They think somebody ought to fix it. And Jesus says, you're right. You are that somebody. You meet the need. You go to them. You feed them. And the tongue of war starts right there. And they do what we all do in this moment. They give excuses. This is the next thing that happens. They say, uh, you might not know this, verse 17, but we only have five loaves of bread and two fish. Bring them here to me, Jesus said. I was afraid of that, the disciples said. <laughs> Had a feeling you might say something like that. Jesus, you're always so other, you know. <laughs> And they begin to tell God why they can't do this thing. We only have five loaves of bread and two fish. There are thousands of people. You ever have a moment like that? You see a need. You see a cause. And your next thought is, but I'm only, but I only but I could never, I could never meet that need. I don't have, yeah, I see, I see kids. I see the kids need to be loved and cared for and served, but I don't know how to do that. I don't have early childhood development in my background. I can't, I can't serve those kids. Yeah, I see that need, but, but I don't have any time. Do you realize that I work a full-time job, God? Do you realize that I have my own kids at home? Do you realize that I can barely, listen, I can barely make my SpaghettiOs at the end of the day. I can't slice up an apple. Are you kidding me? That's like, that's like the weekend. We don't do, we, I barely have any time right now. And we begin to make excuses. When I'm older, I'll have more life experience. Then, then I can meet that need. Then we get older and we think, I'm, I'm too old to meet that need. When I have more time, I, I, I joked about with our college friends, and I look over here because I see a lot of you sitting here. I, I remember being in college and thinking, I can't wait till I graduate because then I will finally have some free time. <laughs> no, I, I did. Like, and, and, I'd, and, and, you know, Pastor Ron would say something like that, and everybody would laugh, and I'd be like, well, yeah, they don't get it. They're over 24. They don't understand what it's really like. I'm telling you, they're laughing because they understand a reality. You will not have more time when you graduate. We, okay, now I'm going to talk to the rest of us. Ha ha, we're all laughing. Okay. What, what do you think is going to happen? Like your 30s are going to have more time? No, your 40s. That's the, that's the, no, 50s, not at all. I talked to a buddy uh, who retired five years ago. We were moving some things, and this was uh, on Friday. I said, how's retirement going? He said, I'm busier than I've ever been. I, I don't have any time. This whole, he's like, there's no such thing as retirement. It's retirement thing. Yeah, it's a myth. There's no free time. Come on. And so we begin this tug of war of God. God, I can't, I can't do it. I don't have enough. It, it's, it's a mindset of scarcity. I'm not enough. I don't have enough. I can't give what I don't have. And here's what Jesus said to his disciples. He said, I know you don't have bread and fish for thousands. Bring me what you do have. And let me do with what you have, what only I can do with what you bring me. Jesus, I, I only have two hours a week. Bring me your two hours. 
Jesus, I only have $20. Bring me your $20. Jesus, I only have, bring it to me. Bring me what you do have and let me do what only I can do. Verse 19. Uh, Let's see. Yeah. Bring me what you do have. He said, verse 19, he directed the people to sit down on the grass and he took the five loaves of bread and the two fish. I love this. He looked up to heaven. He gave thanks to God. And then what did he do? This is so good. He just handed them back five loaves of bread and two fish. (laughs) To what you got to figure, the disciples are thinking, oh, thank goodness. When Jesus was praying, he must've gone long on that prayer. They all left. That's what they're thinking. Thank goodness everybody left because Jesus, you might not know, you just gave me back exactly what I gave to you. You gave me five loaves of bread and two fish. We still only have five loaves of bread and two fish. And what did the disciples do? The disciples gave them to the people. The disciples did what the disciples knew how to do. Some of them were fishermen. They had had cut up fish before. They'd served fish to people before. They knew how to slice bread and pass out bread. What did they do? with their five loaves of bread and their two fish, they turned around and they did what they knew how to do. They started giving out five loaves of bread and two fish. And then they watched to see what God would do next. And here's the crazy thing. God took what only they could do, giving five loaves of bread and two fish. And then God did what only God can do, multiplying it to feed thousands. See, here's the beautiful thing about personal ministry. And this is how it grows our faith. Personal ministry works best, and this is in your notes. Personal ministry works best. Faith-growing personal ministry works best. When you do what only you can do, and you trust God to do what only he can do. They did what they knew how to do. They passed out some bread and some fish. And God did what God can do. See, we come to God and we say, God, I don't have, you fill in our blank. And God comes back to us and he says, just bring me what you do have and let me do with what you have what only I can do. And in that process, we begin to have dialogues with God because we realize that if we're doing what only we can do and God does not do what only God can do, we're going to look like idiots. We're going to fall flat on our face. And so those prayers that we talk about, they become real. It's not, hey God, thank you for another great day. Bless this food to my body. I know it's full of all sorts of crazy bad stuff for me. Bless it anyway. Bless this Big Mac. Help it to be more like a salad. Amen. That's a fine prayer. I don't know that God answers it. I don't really know. Maybe he does. We'll see in 20 years. Um, But all of a sudden our prayers become, oh, sweet Jesus, if you don't show up, I'm not gonna make it. And it's crazy. So then God shows up and our faith expands. I remember the first time I went overseas, I was in the Dominican Republic I was 23 years old. I was interning with this college ministry called InterVarsity. Um, the, the, yeah, it's, it's a great ministry. Don't cheer for me. They took me on because they didn't have anybody. And they needed somebody. So my first year in, they said, hey, I got an idea. Why don't you at 23 lead a group of 18 to 20-year-olds overseas on a trip? 
I'm like, I've never been overseas on a trip. That's fine. You'll be fine. You'll be fine. No problem. So I take this group of like 25 people and they all came back. Praise God. We almost lost two of them, but they came back. And we're overseas. And if you know me, you know that like hugging during cold and flu season is a big deal for me. Like I have to trust God because I'm not a big fan of, of your germs. But y'all love to hug me. And that's, I love to hug you back because we're a, we're a loving, hugging group of people. That's great. Um, but back in my early 20s, I was not a hugger because I did not like germs. I'm like sanny, hand sanitizing all the time. My hands were all dry and cracked from so much hand sanitizer, rashes, the whole thing. So I go overseas. They put me with this little boy. He's, he's got special needs. He's almost completely blind. He's about four years old. Uh, mentally, he's, he's pretty delayed developmentally. And my role was just to be with him for the day. <laughs> like, I, I don't have any early childhood development. And they said, you, you'll be fine. Just, just be with him. Walk around. Talk to him around this city that you don't know. Okay, great. So I'm walking around, talking to him. And at one point, he, he starts to run, but he can't see very well. And he runs headfirst into a slide. And he falls over. He gets up and he's stunned. And um, we walk a few more feet. And he begins to vomit. I think from the hitting his head. And I immediately pull back. Because I don't do germs. And this kid, like my own kids now, when they throw up, it's like, honey, uh, the kids are calling for you. You know what I'm saying? Like, and I pull back. And I said, God, I don't know what to do. This, this is way outside of what I, I, I don't do this. I can talk to college students, that's fine. I don't do this. And God just nudged me in that moment. You're okay. I'm with you. Just give him a hug. So I grab this little boy. I give him a hug. And in that moment, I'm telling you, it was like God said to me, this is what it looks like for me to love you every day of your life. And it grew my faith and it shaped me because I was doing what only I could do, stepping outside of my comfort zone to give this little boy a hug. And God was doing what he could do, growing my trust in him. I have a picture of the two of us. We went to a pool the next day swimming and, and uh, I learned a few Spanish words. One of, one of the phrases was, how strong, you know? So I was like, you're so strong. He's flexing, and I'm flexing together. It was my first time ever growing a beard, by the way. It was a, it was a great trip all the way around. God really <laughs> shaped a lot. Um, and, and I keep that picture because I need to remember that when I step outside of my comfort zone, God shows up. I would hazard a guess that the times when you were really growing in your confidence in God, you were at the edge of your margins doing what only you could do, trusting God to do what only he could do. Here's the cool thing about God. He loves to show up. Here's how the story continues. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men, and with them women and children. Five loaves of bread, two fish, 5,000 men plus women and children. Let's safely say 10,000 people. It is incredible. The, the disciples, these followers, they begin to calculate in their heads what just happened in the abundance of God in the end. 
And their eyes moved off of what only I can do, and they moved on to what God can do and what I can bring to partnership with God. Now, I'll say this. Jesus didn't do this miracle because he was out of miracles. Jesus had plenty of miracles that he could do at any moment. Jesus knew that in a very short time, he was going to leave the entire enterprise to these people. He was about to turn over the whole thing. And he wanted them to know that they could trust him. That if they would just step forward and do the service that they could do, that God would meet them in the moment. So immediately, Jesus said to the disciples, go on ahead of me onto a boat and get to the other side of the lake. And after he dismissed the people, Jesus went on the mountainside to pray. Again, there's Jesus having a private spiritual practice of connecting with God. I always wonder what that conversation's like. Jesus talking to God the Father, you know, like, does he say like, in my name, amen? I don't know. But I've always wondered, like, what is that conversation like? But Jesus apparently went to pray. When evening came, Jesus was there alone, but the boat was already a considerable distance out. It was being buffeted by the waves because the wind was against it. And these guys, many of them were fisher people. They had rowed this river many times, but at this point, it's like a rowing machine. They're stuck in the middle of the lake. They're trying to get across. They're stuck. They're going all night long. And shortly before dawn, as they're going without making any progress, Jesus comes out to them walking on water, walking on water, walking on water. And the disciples saw him walking on the lake. They were terrified. It's a ghost, they cried out. That's what they would do, because listen, these were actual people. They didn't say, it's a ghost. No, they freaked out. They're throwing Peter to the front. You're always the guy to talk first. You go to the front. It's a ghost, they cried out. By the way, this is one of the things that I believe gives the Bible credibility. If you question, was this really accurate? Come on. The people who wrote these stories wrote themselves in as cowards. Now think about this. If you're making up a story, you write yourself in as the hero. Which one of us makes up a story for our children and writes ourselves in as the coward? None of us. The reason I know this is true, one of the many reasons, is because they wrote themselves in as cowards. Later, they write themselves in as as villains, as, as, as deserters. You only do that if that's the way that it actually happens. But Jesus immediately said to them, take courage. It's me. Do not have to be afraid. And Peter begins to put things together. Peter begins to think, wait a minute, I just handled a few gooey fish and some bread and fed 10,000 people because Jesus was inviting me to do what only I could do and trust him to do what only he could do. So Peter's got this hypothesis going. Well, if I do what only I can do and Jesus does what only he can do, miraculous things often happen. And so he decides to put his hypothesis to the test. And and Peter says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. Come on out, Jesus said. And Peter got down out of the boat and he walked on the water and he came to Jesus. If it's you, invite me out. Now, think about ministry. And this is where if you've ever served in ministry and it wasn't fulfilling, it could be that the leadership around you just didn't set it up in the right way. But it could be that God wasn't inviting you to that specific thing. See, when God invites us to it, God partners with us in it. And I don't want to take the blame off of me, you know, or us and setting up the right system for you. But I'm telling you, if God invites you to walk on the water, he will. If he doesn't, it looks a lot like what I tried to do when I was about 24. 
I read this passage for one of the first times, and I thought, that's amazing. I would like to walk on the water. Who, who, who doesn't? So I went with all my clothes on because I felt like that communicates faith that I can do it with all my clothes on. I went to a pool. I said, okay, Jesus, I'm going to be the second person to ever walk on water. This is fantastic. <laughs> I did. This is a true story. And I, I, I hedged my bets a little, but I got a running start. So I take off running and I stepped onto the water and I was standing on the water. And then I stepped again and I sunk right down into the water. Why? Because Jesus had not invited me to walk on water. And when Jesus doesn't invite us, then we can bring what only we can bring. I brought myself, I brought my clothes, I stepped onto the water and I sunk because I hadn't been invited by Jesus. But when Peter saw the wind, he became afraid and he began to sink. Lord, save me, he cried out. And immediately Jesus reached out his hand and caught him and he said, you of little trust. Why did you doubt me? He doesn't say, Peter, why did you doubt yourself? Peter, we know why you you didn't doubt yourself. Peter, you know you can't walk on water. That is, you can't. You do what you can do. Peter, what you can do, you can get out of a boat. You've done that thousands of times in your life. You're a fisherman. Peter, you can walk. You learned how to do that as a child. But Peter, you have to trust me if you're going to walk on water. Because that's something that only I can do. Now, he's not chastising Peter. He's inviting him to trust in me a little more. Just trust me. And I think there's something for us there that as we look for areas to invest ourselves in personal ministry, there will be times when we feel like we're sinking and we'll cry out to Jesus, save me. And he has a good track record of grabbing our hand and pulling us up. He doesn't chastise us. Why didn't you trust me? He invites us. Refocus your eyes on me. You do what only you can do and trust me to do what only I can do. Verse 32, and when they climbed back into the boat, the wind died down and those who were on the boat worshiped Jesus, saying, truly, you are the Son of God. Friends, let's chat as we wrap our time up together. If you've ever been benefited by a ministry here in the church, if you love going home and having your kids tell you what they learned in school and they had a good time, do you realize you're you're being benefited by someone who has given God what, what they can give and trusted God to give what only he can give? If you've ever been benefited by getting a hug, when you walk through those doors, or a hello, or being seen, maybe for the first time all week, you feel like someone actually sees me. That's people on guest services team saying, you know what? I'm going to do what only I can do. I'm going I'm to say hello. I'm going to smile. I'm going to be friendly. And God using them to do what only he can do. If you love being in a community group, a life group, that's someone saying, I'm going to facilitate to create space. If you love that, You love it because people have stepped out of their comfort zone and invested themselves in personal ministry. And does it bless you? Absolutely. But here's the crux of it. When it's done right, it impacts us even more. I had a buddy text me yesterday. I've got a few friends who text me and check in on me, and I just love that. He said, how are you feeling about tomorrow? I said, I'll be honest with you, because this week has been an up and down week, just lots of stuff. And um, I said, I'll be honest with you. I can't wait for tomorrow. Tomorrow's, I love this. I love that I get to do this. This is one of my favorite things in the week because I brought God what I can bring. 
I talk. That's what I do. I talk a lot. <laughs> I got in trouble as a kid for talking. I was in detention for talking. And Jesus said, you know what? I want you to talk for a living. You do what only you can do. And I'll do what only I can do. And you know what? It's so fun. It's so fun. I love it. I want that for you. We're going to be talking in the weeks to come, in the months to come. We're going to do a whole series on knowing your go, your area of strategic service influence, finding that spot in our community, in our church, around the world. I want to help us do that. But even now, can I ask you to think about a couple questions? One, where is God nudging you? Is he nudging you right now? For some of us, the answer is no. And that's okay. We will help you discern that and discover that as time goes on. Where is God nudging you? And if God is nudging you, would you be willing to do what only you can do and trust God to do what only he can do? Will it benefit others? Absolutely. Absolutely. Will it grow your faith? Yeah, 100%. In a second, the guest services team is going to come and they're going to pass some baskets. But I want to ask you to check out the back of this Start Here card for a second. On the top, it says, I'd like to try or test drive, take a trial run. And there's a number of different areas. If you already sense that God is stirring something, these are just a few. We're going to get big and we're going to have neighborhoods that you could invest in, causes around our community and world. Here's just a few. If you sense God is stirring in you right now to try something, why not try? Mark it down. Yeah, I'm open to facilitating a life group. By the way, like 25 or 30 of you expressed interest in this a few weeks ago. That's awesome. Uh, If that's you and you already marked it, please don't mark it again. There's no need we're already talking. If you haven't heard from me, come find me. You should have gotten an email from me in the last two weeks. Maybe it's ministry. You want to try to plug into ministry uh, with children. One to four, uh, fifth and sixth grade, first to fourth grade, zero to five. There's lots of opportunities there. Maybe it's guest services. You think, I'll take a step. You know what? I can be smiley. I can be friendly. People always told me I'm a friendly person. Gosh darn it, people like me. If that's you... Step into guest services. Not everyone can be happy and smiley before 9.15. I'm telling you, it's a spiritual gift. You should try guest services. And finally this. Uh, God does not want something from you. God wants something for you. The thing he wants for you is to help you grow in your trust in him. That journey happens best in partnership with him. And some of you have been coming to New Life for a while, and you've never taken that step to place your trust in him, to say, God, I want to walk in relationship with you. I want to know you, and I want to be known by you. I want to be brought back into your family. I've been watching this from the outside, and it kind of makes sense. It's starting to make sense, and I'm ready. If that's you, I want you to go ahead and mark down the spot where it says, today I'm becoming a first-time Christian or a follower of Jesus, and I'm going to pray and give you a chance to actually talk to God about that right now. Once I pray, we're going to have the guest services team come. They're going to pass baskets. You can drop in that Start Here card. You can drop in your offering. And then I want to share with you a little bit about what's been happening in the church these last few months. So would you join me as we pray? Jesus, help us to be able to know what it looks like to engage with you in personal ministry. You don't want to keep it secret. You don't want to keep it hidden. You want us to trust you a little more fully as we live our lives beyond ourselves. So over this next couple months, as we dive into exploring how to know our go, would you, would you speak uniquely and personally to each of my friends in this room about our area of strategic service? Even now, would you be speaking, laying a foundation, giving us a a cause dear to your heart, giving us a people close to your heart that you might invite us to serve and to influence? 
both for the benefit of the person being served, but primarily, Lord Jesus, for the benefit of what you do in our lives in the process. And friend, if you're here and you're ready to begin a relationship with God, you can simply say to God, yes, Jesus, I want a relationship with you. I want to receive the forgiveness that you've offered to me. I want to be adopted back into your family. So God, would you come? Would you fill me with your spirit? And would you show me what it looks like to walk with you? I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We hope you enjoyed this week's message. You can find more information about New Life, including contact information, at newlifepetaluma.org. Thanks for listening.